Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. on vacation this week and I am getting over a cold so my voice is on a bit of a vacation as well but we're going to power through. I'm here with the hammered dulcimer player Ted Yoder. He has been called the Bela Fleck of the hammered dulcimer. He's won the title of national hammered dulcimer champion and his cover of Tears for Fears Everybody Wants to Rule the World racked up 53 million views in four days and went on to uh accumulate more than 100 million. Ted, thanks for being here with us. You bet. My pleasure. You know, in this podcast, we usually try to avoid the questions that everybody is always asked. But I got to (laughs) start, in your case, with this, the hammered dulcimer. You know, at least in my school, that was not one of the uh, pick your instrument night choices. (laughs) How did did you get your start there? Uh. Yeah, that's usually the first question is, um, <laughs> the hammer dulcimer, why? <laughs> well, um, I can see why. It's almost more like how. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's it's true. Yeah, the why, why is a different question than how. <laughs> so um, the, the person that got me interested in the hammer dulcimer, I, uh, I was just a huge fan of his for, for years, and uh, he passed away in 1997. Uh, his name was Rich Mullins. And so I, I heard it on an album. It was back in the late eighties and I just kind of thought it was another synthesized sound. And, uh, but when I saw him play it in concert, I just was immediately just enthralled. And, and at the time it's funny that it's, it's an acoustic instrument, but, um, at the time I was, I was just a keyboard player. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I had a piano and stuff like that, but for the most part, I didn't play anything acoustic. Hmm. Um, so it, it's interesting that that is what yeah, that, that type of you. instrument even captivated me. Yeah, interesting. So you came across this? Was it a tape in those days? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you guess, Just you started across. getting into CDs, but yes. <laughs> okay. So you came across the Rich Mullins tape and fell in love with the sound. And and did you immediately go find an instrument or? Well, you, you couldn't exactly just walk into your local guitar center and pick one out. Um, so it, no, it, it actually took me like 10 years to find one. Uh, I, even, even though like I, I grew up in Northern Indiana and evidently Michigan is like one of the meccas of hammer dulcimers um, and hammer dulcimer players, huh. uh, a weird offshoot story that nobody probably cares about, but Henry Ford used to have a jam band in his, <laughs> in, in his, um, break room because he believed in the healing power of music and the motivation of it all and how it just kind of resets you like an early garage band 
Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so, so he had a, he had a hired band that would play there every day for people taking breaks. And, and, and one of, one of the instruments in the band was a hammer dulcimer. Huh. Is that so, why it was, became so big in Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. That, oh. that just grew from there. Um, but anyway, I just, you know, the only person I ever saw and heard play it was, was Rich Mullins. So I just, I couldn't find one for, for the longest time. And, uh, my wife and I got married in 97 and moved down to a little town called Russellville, Arkansas to do some music with friends and just, you know, get away and be married. And we had this little four room apartment and, you know, there was a lot of things my, uh, newly married wife could have spent money on, especially wedding money. Uh, we had a card table for a kitchen table. We slept on blankets. Uh, the only furniture we had in the living room were my keyboards and a couch, a borrowed couch. Um, but uh, she heard she heard of this little mountain music shop up in um, Mountain View, Arkansas, that had a hammer dulcimer for sale. And so we went up there and she spent some wedding money on me, and that's where it all began. start playing until after you were married oh yeah nope nope amazing and so and and so let's take a minute for for our listeners who may not be familiar with what this is it's a basically trapezoid shaped Mm -hmm. instrument that's looks like an open piano there's lots of strings and you Mm -hmm. hit them with mallets is that is that basically the size of it yeah there's uh on, on on my instrument there's three bridges that go you know vertically um and the strings cross over the bridges. And so you have, you have about an inch vertically between spaces and about two or three inches horizontally before you start either a hitting the bridge or hitting another string. So there's different sections of strings that are exposed to hit. Yes. Based on where they are going up and down the bridge. Yeah. Based on where they go over the bridge. And yep, that's exactly right. So you you have to be, you know, you have a, it's not like playing a drum set. (laughs) You don't have a like (laughs) 15 inch head that you can, that you can hit somewhere. Uh, You have a very small real estate to, uh, to hit the notes you want. Yeah. And it's not like you were a marimba player or something Mm -mm. or a harpist. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, there was a whole lot of things I had to learn uh, just getting into the hammer dulcimer, even just learning how to tune. I didn't know how to tune an acoustic instrument. I didn't even play guitar at the time. Uh, so, yeah, there, there was just a whole lot of stuff that I had to just slowly accustom, you know, get accustomed to. And so you're an adult at this point. 
<laughs> with with responsibilities, like you said, you're relatively speaking, <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> using years as a metric. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we know you're a musician, so there's always that. All of us, there's there's always that asterisk. That's um, right. So, um, was were you just driven to to become great at this thing, or were you just messing around? I, you know, how does how do you connect the dots for me from being newly married and, and getting an instrument for the first time to you know, your national hammer dulcimer champion. <laughs> and, and, and doing this for a living, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I'll, I'll, I mean, I know we have roughly an hour, but I'll try to keep this brief. Um, There's no limit. We can just keep it going. It can be as long as it needs to be. So, yeah, once I, you know, I was, I kind of started playing a bunch of different instruments and hammer dulcimer was one of them. And so initially I just started, like learning my own compositions on it or writing my own compositions, uh, learning some rich Mullen songs. And it was, but it was, it was just, um, it was something else that I played along or I started to learn along with guitar and, and a and bunch you, of other instruments. Were you playing those other instruments professionally? Uh, that, that would also need an asterisk on it. <laughs> uh, no, at, at that time, no, I was, uh, I was just a flooring installer um, okay. so it was, it was just a hobby. Um, and I, you know, I always wanted to do something. I always wanted to make a living in music and it wasn't going to be teaching. It was going to be, you know, either as an engineer owning a recording studio, maybe a musician, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, you know, one of the main things in my life was I just always considered myself a hack of a musician, uh, cause I have, I have a really good ear. I don't have perfect pitch or anything like that, but I have a good ear. And so I could get away with a lot when I learned piano. I, it took, you know, I had multiple piano teachers try to get me to read music and I would just find ways around it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And eventually they would give up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, so, so I, I, you know, I'm not professionally trained um, in any aspect of, of music. So, um, so it took a while to, to get to the point where I felt like I, well, maybe that I even had enough drive to make this happen. And, and one of those key points was in 2007, uh, we were, we had moved out to the suburbs of Chicago and we were driving back home to Northern Indiana here around Easter. And if you live up here in Northern Indiana, you know that you get like these freak snow ice storms in the middle of spring doesn't happen very often, but it usually happens once before Easter. And then you're finally done with winter. But uh, so as we were driving home uh, around midnight, 1 a.m., we hit an ice storm and flipped our minivan. And we had five children at the time. And my older brother, uh, Mike, was with us, who is uh, uh, autistic. So he was, he was spending time with us. So we had a packed minivan, no seat was empty. Mm. And it was just one of those things where I knew I wasn't going to pull out of this, you know, spin. And so one of my first thoughts was who's not going to make it. And, um, as we, as, as we flipped, the windows blew out. Um, I felt the roof hit my head and right before I blacked out, my thought was, oh, it's me. And, uh, I woke up later and thankfully everybody, everybody was safe. I was the only one that got hurt. 
And so, you know, I just can't imagine. Um, So uh, during my recovery period, it was just a, a very strong pull on my heart to show my kids, you know, just kind of taking stock of my life and saying, what have I really shown my kids and what do I want to um, yeah, prove to them, for lack of a better word? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just wanted to show them a life of somebody who, who went after what they really felt they were meant to do, um, even if it is for just a time. And so to, you know, just to not, not to live a life without fear because that's impossible, but to, to live a life where you're afraid, but you still move ahead. You know, it's really, I I think still today, one of the most amazing things I've been doing music as a living for the last 12 years. And most of my children don't know any other life other than being a musician's, you know, child. Hmm. (laughs) Um, And they they really, it's just, it's just something cool to just kind of look back on and kind of take stock of and go, wow, I I really don't have much to complain about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. that's amazing. And so you, once you made this decision, I guess you just look in the classifieds and apply to apply for one of the many hammer dulcimer positions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're just replete. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, not to belabor no. the point, but how does that, you know, I'm fascinated with how that works because you've, you've done all these amazing things that we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about more here. Um, well, the, the, the funny start of it all was because I played multiple instruments, I wasn't um, I, I wasn't proficient at the hammer dulcimer at the time that I wanted to start this process, but I knew it. I knew I wanted to do it on the hammer dulcimer and not keyboard, not guitar, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. And so I had two um, assisted living places just like within walking distance of my house at the time. And so I just went to them and asked to talk to their director, you know, uh, their directors. And, and I had a photo of my instrument uh, it wasn't even a photo of me playing it. And I had, I had an iPad, iPod, 
that had someone else's hammer dulcimer music, not mine, because <laughs> I didn't have any recorded music of my own. And so I played them and I said, this is what it sounds like. This is what it looks like. Could I come and do, do a this program? This is what I look for... like. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine it all together. <laughs> so uh, surprisingly, I walked away with dates for both of them and also a promise to pay me, which was totally surprising because I was planning on doing it just for free. That's great. And, it's um, really no different than you know nowadays photoshopping yourself in front of a <laughs> you know an auto tuning recording or something. You were just kind of doing it old school. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's where it all started, and 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 my main thing was then at that point I had like about thirty days to come up with forty five minutes of music, uh, and at the time on the Hammer Dulcimer I only played like three or four songs all the way through. <laughs> so, um, a deadline. Yeah, I had a deadline. Covers have been a big part of your recordings, so mm-hmm. some covers on, on most, if not all of your albums. And uh, I mentioned in the intro, the your, your kind of viral breakout hit with the cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Um, that's been um, the, the viral success of that is sort of a, um, the, the story in today's music business that, you know, everybody aspires to, you know, to go Mm -hmm. viral. How do you go viral? How can you (laughs) increase your chances of this? What kind of video do you need to make to go viral? All this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you actually did do it. Is it the silver bullet that, that, you know, everybody dreams it will be, or is it, is there kind of a double-edged sword? And I I guess what I'm getting at is I know how easy it is to click like, Mm -hmm. you know, for people to click like and how much harder, um, by comparison, it is for them to then, you know, buy your music or come to your concert or, or whatever. Yeah, it's, it, it was really interesting. Um, it is a double-edged sword. You're never ready for it, and you can't manufacture, manufacture it, and you can't reproduce it. Um, and just because you had one viral video doesn't mean that your subsequent videos are always going to get a million or above views. Mm-hmm. Um, had you had videos before that? This wasn't your first video, was it? Oh, yeah, because like when I won the national championship in 2010, we, um, I had just got fired from my day job before I won the, the national championship. And so that's kind of a side story in and of itself. But we came back jobless. And, but with a national title <laughs> and, and so, um, my, my wife just said, well, I guess you're, um, I guess you're going to take this title and run with it and just 
start doing music, right? And I was like, are you kidding? I mean, and, and that, so. Your wife, again, for the win. Okay, yes. <laughs> Always for the win. <laughs> she's, she's the MVP of the story so far. <laughs> yes, she is. So uh, w- one thing that I did was to to give myself something to aspire to was I, I started making these YouTube videos called Fan Friday, and I would I would pick a song or I would have a fan pick a song, and I would learn what I could of it and arrange mm. it in a week and then record it Thursday night and upload it you know, on YouTube for, because that was before anybody did live stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, I would upload it to YouTube then. And that was just kind of a starting point. I think I, I may have had over a hundred of those altogether. So yeah, I've had other videos out there. Um, you know, anything from the Beatles to Bach and, um, any of my com- original compositions, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I, the, I wasn't new to the video game. So what was it about about this one? How did that unfold and how, and what was it like as that took off like a rocket? Well, I don't know what made it take off like a rocket, but at the time, so 2010 to 2016, we were we were doing music for a living for 6 years and at the beginning of 2016, my wife and I were just kind of done. We were like I wasn't done musically, we were just out of ideas. Yeah. We were tired of trying to be creative and think of new ways to make money other than um, other than concerts. And so I had taken a um, just a part time job at a at a local soup kitchen, and uh, just so I could do something where it had nothing to do with music. <laughs> and, yep. um, and so I had to, I had a part time job for about six months there, and. I don't even remember what got us into the whole Facebook live thing, but we just kind of, you know, Facebook came out with it and we were just starting to hear about it. Of course, the the most popular Facebook live video at the time was the Chewbacca mom. Do you remember that one? I think I missed that. You missed that one. Well, it it was, it was that immediately. Yeah. (laughs) It was just this, you know, lady who bought this Chewbacca (laughs) Halloween mask and she, she put it on in the car. And as, as you would talk through it, it would, it would do the, you know, like Chewbacca. And and so she just started laughing hysterically. (laughs) And so that's the, the whole video is her in her car doing the Chewbacca mask and just laughing at herself in the mirror. And it was like going viral. That does sound pretty funny. It, it is. It is. Quite. <laughs> so um, anyway, we just heard about this Facebook live thing and we thought, well, you know, it'd be really cool if we could just do the video live. We were still doing some of the YouTube, you know, Fan Friday stuff. And I said, it'd be nice if I wouldn't have to, you know, go through the whole process of uploading and, you know, just mm. all that just because we had really slow internet where we were. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe we can just do a live thing with cell service and, and, no big deal. And then, you know, it'll just be uploaded mistakes and all. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, so we did it one time, I just started writing a song. And I think at the time we had maybe 50, maybe on on our music page uh, on Facebook, we maybe had like 50 followers. And um, so I, I, I went out in the backyard, just set up and, and started playing my song for the seven people that showed up, Mm -hmm. you know, and so then Donna, my wife, of course, said, hey, you're going to do this next week and and, you know, coming around to the following Wednesday. And I was like, 
you know, seven people showed up. I'm not sure it made that big of a difference in anybody's world. <laughs> um, and so she encouraged me to do it. And I said, okay, fine. And so I, before I went to work Wednesday morning, I went out to my office and just started tooling around with Rule the World. And, and I, I had been messing around with it for about a year, but haven't had, didn't really have an arrangement worked out or anything. And just as I was messing around with that morning, I, I felt it just kind of started coming together. And so I thought, well, who knows? I could play that, you know. And so I went to work and and then came home and just practiced it a few more times and said, eh, close enough for hand grenades. And then <laughs> um, I just I set up and we started to go live. And it was kind of a stormy day. And um, there were actually tornadoes to the south of us. So we were kind of in a crunch to get in and, you know, to do it and get in. And uh, yeah, so we just played it live. I think there were 14 people on at the time that we played it. And um, we showed off our pet raccoon at the end of it. And the, that could be something. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the, the tornado sirens went off. So we packed up and ran inside, <laughs> put everything away, went down the basement. So that was kind of the day in a nutshell. Wow. And, and it, and we, I guess we need to circle back to the raccoon, but we'll, we'll <laughs> put a pin in that for now. Um, <laughs> I knew about the raccoon. I wasn't necessarily going to ask about the raccoon, but now the, <laughs> now the raccoon is out there. So, but did it, so you, you played for 14 people and then that was the beginning of the four days. Yeah, that was the beginning of four days. I think, um, I think by the time we, went to bed, we had 47 total views or something, something really low like that. And, you know, compared to the last, the previous week, we thought, wow, that's not too bad, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think it was, it might've been the very next morning. It's been a while since I've looked at these numbers. Uh, it might've been Thursday morning that, my wife just felt like she should go check it and see where it was at. And I think there were already 15,000 views. Wow. And um, What did the raccoon do? <laughs> right? <laughs> it was like the raccoon came out and played the song. It was fantastic. Um, so the raccoon did become... Um, so, so to finish with the video, yeah. it, it went to 59 million immediately. It's, it's, it spiraled and everything continued. From yeah. there. The raccoon became something of a character in your videos, right? Yeah, 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 she did. Uh, she would show up. Well, so, so yeah, we had, we had this pet raccoon and, and um, we, we had just uh, started to... We were grooming her to release and she had been spending nights outside. Her name was Gidget. And so... She would, she would spend the night outside and then she would come back during the day and sleep and play with everybody. And so the, the reason she showed up right before we went live because she heard the noise in the orchard. And so everybody, she just came wandering in. Hmm. Like Pavlov's raccoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Here the dulcimer and the raccoon comes. <laughs> <laughs>
And so what, were the, what was the immediate fallout from having a hit video on Facebook? Uh, well, the immediate fallout was just, um, believe it or not, CDs were selling. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get to, we, it was such an emotional ride of people calling and texting. And then, of course, you know, we're going to have to put a pin in this, but, you know, getting getting tweets and emails from Kurt Smith and Jamie Wollum of Tears for Fears, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. That was such an emotional ride that that we didn't get to shipping CDs until the following week. And we actually had to buy a printer that worked so that we could print out, you know, mailing addresses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, we did make some money um, off of selling CDs, but then we also were getting calls from people that, you know, were hosting a conference like in seven days and wondered, is there any way you could come and just play at the conference? And, you know, we'll pay you, you know, well, I don't know, we'll fly you out here and we'll pay you 1500 How's that? And I'm like, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so it was it was the, the whole following year was just a madhouse of just events. Um, I got flown down to uh, a destination wedding in Brazil on an <laughs> island, you know, um, that, you know, just, so there, there's, there, there was a year full of just amazing stories. So that was yeah. the immediate fallout of it. Okay. So real substantial, valuable fallout. Yes. And not to mention probably the, the, the biggest thing was just getting an immediate larger fan base. Yeah. Um, now, again, you know, if you want to dive into metrics and, and kind of, you know, play that whole game, you know, at the time, well, even now, I think Facebook still records three second views. So, you know. So anybody who watched the video for three seconds is counted in that. Yeah. Billion. Yeah. Yeah. But, but still, even if you cut it in half or in third or whatever, oh, sure. that's still a lot of people. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and, and you've got, I'll take it. well, and you've been able to see that you do have a much larger fan base after that. Yes. Event. Yeah. So, so lots of people stuck with you regardless of what percentage of the, of the views that represented. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so did you, did it become an obsession of sorts to, to replicate it and to have another hit or was it just, did you, were you able to take that all in stride? I think I was able to take it in stride, you know, after all the initial emotions of it and everything. Um, I, I, I had a few friends who some were musicians and some weren't. And they, they all just kind of told me at the time, don't, don't forget to just enjoy the ride. And, you know, this doesn't happen to everybody. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, is, is there, did we miss out on some opportunities? Sure. Were we not, were, were we set up for it business wise? <laughs> not a chance. Sure. You know, um, <clears throat> so I, yeah, but, but, but you can't, you can't sit here and, and just wonder, gosh, did I take advantage of every aspect of that? There, there's, I, I think I would have had, a, had, had to have a team of 20 people to make that happen. Sure. Yeah. You know, well, did you so, enjoy the ride? Oh, absolutely. And, (laughs) and I mean, you know, again, this is something my kids will never forget, you know, no matter what it turns into, you know, I'm not to mention Gidget. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's, it, it has been, it's just been an incredible ride. Um, and the, the, the downside of it all is that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean success forever. Right. Um, 
it, just it like a be. hit song on the radio, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I you know because so at some point it returns to the grind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it did sooner than people thought. Um, and one main reason that it did was sure we sold CDs at the time, and then my my popularity was was greater, so my my cost in in gigs went up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't get any money from the video, from the mm-hmm. views. It wasn't like ads were running. So yeah. I was getting ad revenue. None of that happened. So there, there were people, and I think there still are people that think I'm a really rich musician. That you got and, a nickel for every view or something. Yeah. 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 And it, it just, it kind of baffled me that it, it's like, no, um, you know, it was eight months later and we were like, okay, you know, yeah, the phone's it, not ringing as much. It's, it's, it's back to the grind now. What yeah. does this look like now? I noticed on your website, um, kind of returning more to kind of your, your, your purpose and spiritual bond to this instrument, um, that your website is all about, um, kind of what your music can do for people, what it can mean for people. So we're kind of shifting gears now from this, mm-hmm. you know, temporary, you know, click, clickbait viral <laughs> thing to, to going to the, you know, much deeper purpose um, behind, you know, what you do. Um, we get it. Stress happens. If your playlist isn't making you feel better, this will help. That's sort of, these are the sorts of messages on your website. Mm -hmm. What, um, tell me a little bit more about that, how you kind of, um, distilled the, that, that essence in your music. Well, it, it, it took a long time. Um, but what, what's, what was harder and what, and what even continues to be hard is to put it in the words. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've all been transported by music uh, at, at different times in our life, whether it's a, a song at a funeral or, um, you know, a song that, you know, was playing when we first w- were enamored by our spouse, um, you know, just a- anything like that. There's, there's, music just has this otherworldly supernatural quality to it. Um, But it it started for me to, when when I would like be out, you know, either playing at a street festival or just a local park or someplace where people can just chill. And I've had people fall asleep on, on the grass 
uh, right next to the instrument. And I, I, at first I would kind of take offense to it because it's like, <laughs> what, isn't this entertaining? I'm just, you know, fall asleep music, you know, and some people would, <laughs> a lot of people would tell me, I can't listen to you in the car. It's too peaceful. And it just puts me to sleep. <laughs> I'm like, not exactly what I was going for, <laughs> but okay. Um, but then people would get up and, and just say, I haven't rested like that in years. Hmm. I haven't slept that soundly. Um, the, when, when the viral video happened, some of the stories I would get from people around the world was just astounding. And I mean, just some one, one guy in particular, I think he was over in the UK. Um, and he just sent me a note and said, I have been wrestling with demons for the better of eight years. And I have just haven't been able to sleep in, in fits. And he said, I put your music on now and I sleep more soundly than I ever have. And I, and I'm, I'm actually be starting to see a road to recovery, you know, and just, just things like that are just like, hmm. wow. you, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, this is just me and the silly instrument. And, um, you know, is it, is sleep a thread through it? Uh, very much so. Interesting. Rest, rest, especially, um, peaceful, uh, during, during, um, like election times, I get a lot of messages from people, um, about just, man, I needed this to kind of quiet all the noise. Mm -hmm. And which is really odd because I'm on social media and, and that's where a lot of the noise is. And, um, <laughs> meaning that's where they're finding you. Yeah. These exactly. noisy environments. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that is ironic. But, but I ironic. guess maybe, uh, you're needed in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the things is just, it's always been a big thing for me. Um, even before I played the hammer dulcimer, there was, um, acquaintances that would listen to me play the piano and, uh, I mean, they, they were, they were friends of friends that, you know, I didn't know them personally kind of a thing, but they would, they would walk up to me and, and just say, man, there's just, I don't know. The only word that comes to mind is peace. When I hear you play, hmm. uh, contentment. And so th those were kind of just th threads that I've hung on to for a really long time. Like ever since I was 16, um, and I, and I've tried to find what that is and I've tried to always keep that, uh, in the forefront. Um, even, even when we're rocking out to hotel California or Eleanor Rigby or, hmm. you know, what have you. Um, I just, I, I just, I mean, heck, I mean, look at the world now and it, it hasn't changed. There's nothing new under the sun. If it's not one war, it's another, if it's not one election, it's another, if it's not one scandal, it's another, um, and and people are just looking for respite and peace and hope. And um, I just, I, I would just like to think that I've somehow kept that through my music. Um, and that for those that find me and know about me, that that might be what they get from my music.
Thank you for listening. Craft Brewed Music, both the podcast and the Music Discovery app, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask you two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Second, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brewed Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the curated streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbrewedmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time. <laughs>